Hello and welcome to Complementary Training Podcast. My name is Mladen Jovanović and I'm going to be your host. In today's episode, I'm talking to David Watts. David Watts is a lead strength conditioning coach from Brisbane, Australia, where he is currently employed as strength conditioning coach at Queensland Academy of Sport. David is working in multiple athletes, multiple sports, and I took this opportunity to, to talk to him regarding licensing schemes of the Australian Strength Conditioning Association, his role within Queensland Academy of Sport, as well about his viewpoints regarding the differences and similarities of coaching and working with different uh, sports and different athletes and as well as developing a, a valid and reliable movement screen. We are also touching topics such as velocity-based training and data management. Enjoy this episode. This episode of Complementary Training Podcast is sponsored by Smartbase. Smartbase platform is truly unique athlete data management solution for professional, college, Olympic sports, military, performing arts, and research. Smartbase encapsulates the ability to integrate all forms of data from many different sources of technology, such as GPS, Omega Wave, Elite Form, and many others. It has unparalleled reporting features, offering the user access to any data in the system within three clicks of the mouse. Available Mac, PC and mobile apps with or without internet. Most importantly, it is a completely customizable platform that you develop based on your needs and workflows for your data. With support teams based in the USA, UK and Australia, Smartup is in over 115 organizations in more than 10 countries. If interested, contact them on info at fusionsport.com. In episode 3 of the Complementary Training Podcast, I'm talking to David Watts. David Watts is a lead strength and conditioning coach from Brisbane, Australia. David is currently employed as strength conditioning coach at Queensland Academy of Sport, where he works over six years with athletes from a wide variety of sports. Thanks for taking your time to do this interview, David. Glad to have you on Complementary Training Podcast. Uh, it's no, no troubles at all, man. Um, to be perfectly honest, I've been a, uh, a follower of yours for a long time, so it's a, it's a pri- privilege to be involved. Thanks, I appreciate it. Glad, glad you're following it, and glad you if you find something useful from uh, complementary training. Yeah, I love it. It's all great stuff. Thanks. Uh, anyway, you are a level three of uh, Australian Strength Conditioning Association. Um, yeah. So that's a licensing uh, scheme. And mm-hmm. can you please tell the listeners more about the license and how the whole system, you know, behind Australian Strength Conditioning Association yeah. licensing works? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Basically, um, the ACA is sort of the, the governing body for SNC in Australia. So um, I guess I've got a, a global idea or a global aim of, of bridging the gap between sports science and practical application. Um, so in contrast to some of the other organizations, it's probably a little bit more real world orientated, the SNC, which, which I'm a really big fan of. Uh, the organization itself is, is led by um, the enig- enigmatic president, Dan Baker. Um, he, and, you know, he, he's obviously one of the best strength coaches in the world and, and really lives up to that motto of, of practical application. So, anyway, the, the licensing structure has basically got two, um, you know, sides to the equation. 
we've got level one, two, and three courses. So this is, uh, I guess, you know, your homework, the things that you have to tick off along the way and, and the actual courses that the ASCA runs. And then we've also got the professional coaching scheme, which has three levels, uh, four levels to it, sorry, uh, the intern, professional, elite, and master coaches. So each one of those kind of progresses up and becomes, uh, you know, more and more difficult to achieve uh, based on experience and, and time in the field as well. Going back to the uh, the levels, the level one is really just about sort of dipping your toes in the water more than anything else with SNC. So it's really something that's good for, say, sports coaches trying to get a better understanding of SNC, um, athletes even trying to wrap their head around it, uh, physical education teachers, things like that. But then the next level, the level two, this is kind of for the way I think about it is, you know, you, you want to show that you're able to swim. You can, you can, you, you, you know, S and C pretty well. So you have to have a great, you have to have done your level one to start with. Uh, but this should set you up to, uh, to work in the field and, and be a professional coach. So once you've got your level two, uh, you can then look to move into the professional scheme. And that's either through, uh, an intern to start with or straight into a professional coach. Uh, depending on how many hours that you've done so far in, in actual hands-on S&C coaching. I think that's a, a really important part to this is that it's not just about your knowledge, but it's really about your experience as well. And, and something that's just fundamentally important to S&C coaching is you have to have that hands-on experience. I think, uh, uh, sorry, I think that a license expires, right? So it's it's for about three or five years and then you need to renew it. Unless you're working in a professional setting, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So it uh, it'll automatically renew uh, as long as you've been continuing to work in the field. But say if you take some time away and you have an extended time away, then you you can't renew it at that point. Uh, I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head how long that is, uh, but it's something that that needs to be renewed on a uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, membership is is yearly. Uh, and that, that sort of, you, you go through the coaching scheme process as part of um, going through the membership to the ACA as well. So if you sort of wrap it into one uh, one box at one time, it sort of takes care of itself. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Yeah. But then the uh, the final level, the level three, is is really sort of directed at, at those coaches who've, who've been around for a reasonable amount of time. They've, they've developed a large sort of, knowledge base to build from and and the level three is is really that that high level uh coach where we're looking for something more than just you know the the permission to play we're looking for someone who's who's really going above and beyond uh the the norms in the in the field so you have to be working in a high performance environment and you have to have done your level two as a minimum but then you also have to apply to the asca to to undertake that course um so that, that level three is actually changing a little bit at the moment. We've actually been working on uh, some of the material uh, to change how it's actually assessed. Uh, so it had previously been basically a, a 40,000 word um, workbook effectively where you are reflecting upon your practices in, in the S&C field. Uh, but it's going to change a little bit. Um, we haven't completely finalized that as yet, so I can't sort of speak to that anymore. But 
Uh, hopefully it should be probably think of it this way. It's going to be a little bit harder to get into the course, but then it should also be a little bit easier to, uh, complete the course. Yeah. So you're, you're currently level three. Um, you know, how, yep. how long does it took you to reach that level? Uh, so I did my level two in, um, 2011 and then an opportunity came up to do it in 2014 to attend the course. So I attended the course with a colleague from QAS, Michael Davey. And, uh, following that, it was probably, probably a year of, um, sort of head down, uh, just knocking off a thousand words, you know, as I could, when I could, um, and then, you know, delivering it back in. And then the, the actual, sorry, I forgot to mention the, the final component of the level three is to be able to sit down and, and defend your workbook as well. So you have to be able to justify everything that you've done in that workbook and, and show that in front of a group of uh, five other level threes that, you know, you, you know this inside and out and you've got a real appreciation for what you've written down. Yeah, it sounds like a really good good scheme and what we are trying to do at the moment, we, we might try to um, um, organize a, a Serbian Strength Conditioning Association and try a partnership with the Australian uh, organization and use some of the schemes mm-hmm. and models there, which I find really, really unique and quite, uh, I would say, interesting. And, uh, you know, they, they actually, you know, make you make you continuously learn and, and, um, yeah. and actually work yeah. in the field. So something that we are actually really looking looking for. Uh, so you are currently with, uh, Queensland Academy of Sport. Uh, so you've been there for more than a s- six years, right? And, uh, yeah. can you tell us more about the experience there and, and your current role? Yeah. Uh, look, first and foremost, I gotta say that QAS is, <clears throat> is an amazing place to work and we're, we are really, really fortunate with the, uh, the support that we get from the Queensland government and, and also from our, um, our higher managers to, to really have a, a great facility and a great place to grow and develop. Uh, primarily the Queensland Academy of Sport, we work with uh, developmental athletes who are along the high-performance pathway to, to getting towards a national team program. Uh, we do also obviously uh, work with Olympic athletes and national team athletes, but probably they would make up or oh, maybe 20% of uh, our total athletes, uh, whereas most of them across the board are, are developmental in nature. Um, getting started with the QAS, I, I guess I was an athlete to begin with, so that, you know, that kind of helped in, in terms of knowing uh, some people there. But went through the um, interview process for uh, an internship at the end of my third year of my undergraduate degree. And uh, did the did three months of sort of unpaid interning under uh, Dr. Anthony Georgie and Kieran Young, probably the two of the best mentors I had along the way. And you know, this is the stuff that I think <clears throat> still really valuable. It's just you know being around, asking lots of questions, and I think it's going to play a part in SNC for a long time to come. And it, it's just the the high performance nature of it. You, you you've got to be able to. Um, except that there will be unpaid voluntary type stuff that you need to do to gain experience. Uh, but following, following on for that internship, I, uh, I took on a role working with under 20 footballers, uh, women's under 20 footballers. And this is, uh, under Michael Davey. And then I was extremely fortunate that probably about a month after I'd started that Jeremy Shepard left the QAS for surfing Australia. 
And so I took on the role that he was doing with the junior volleyball program. So that was, that was a pretty intimidating start uh, to, um, <laughs> to step into the shoes of quite possibly one of, one of the best guys in the field. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's where I got my start with the QIS. And then since then, I've really just been building up, working with a bunch of different sports. And I'm now at the point where I'm a senior S&C coach in our, in our physical performance unit. And I do a few sort of side projects with the academy as well. I'm sort of playing a large role in uh, the implementation of the Fusion Smarterbase system. And, and this is, this is a, an extremely challenging uh, role to play because we, just because we service so many programs. So trying to, to roll the system out across 20 sports uh, takes, takes quite a lot of uh, legwork and a lot of communication, but uh, really, really extremely valuable stuff comes from it. Yep. One, and then, and finally, sorry, mate. So, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, one one thing I'm uh, because I'm doing the similar similar yeah. role is that um, I wonder how do you manage to to wear different hats? Uh, this, <laughs> by this I mean being you know um, I would say muscle head at the gym and then thinking yeah, more yeah. analytically and designing um, you know database and solutions and forms in in smart database. Yeah. Well, I'd say, look, look, first and foremost, I'm a strength coach and, and I fully appreciate that, that that's, that's my first love and it'll always be that way. But I see an extraordinary amount of value to having a few more strings to your bow. Uh, in terms of playing those different roles, I think it's just important that uh, you understand how to manage your time effectively and, and how to become as efficient as, possi- as possible um, in each of those roles. So... You know, for example, with our smarter base system, there's there's absolutely no way that I would be able to implement it with all 20 sports just straight off the bat. So what I've what I've tried to do is really look for the early adopters within our um within our academy, and look to them as as the people who we're going to work really hard with to start with, and get their systems up and running, uh, get them working at a high level so that we can show value to the to the other programs. Uh, as you say, it's, it's, it is challenging to wear different hats, um, but, you know, it means that I've got a bigger, a bigger skill set to sort of um, bank on and, and I can see things from a few different perspectives, which I feel, feel helps in the long run. So, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, it makes sense uh, as long as you have, I guess, <clears throat> enough of time and, uh, to, to do both. Yeah, yeah. And look, if you ask any of the people uh, working around me at the moment, they, they would probably suggest that I, I probably don't have enough time. Um, but you know, like it's it's being being smart and knowing when to say no, which which I'm slowly but surely getting better at. Uh, but yeah, look, it's it is extremely valuable stuff if we can get this system um, up and functioning at at the level we want it to. Yeah, I guess that. Um uh, having, um, I would say, a skin in a game to use Nassim Taleb uh, expression or being there where the rubber meets the road or yeah. actually being with the coaches and being with the athletes uh, yeah. help you to, to see that uh, certain workflows might work better when you organize the, uh, you know, the, the, the smart base or any other athlete management software uh, as opposed to, you know, being, I would say, not involved and then you might might try to experiment with something that might not suit the the workflow of the coaches. So I guess that's a 
a great, you know, positive, positive thing that, you know, helps out. Absolutely. And like that, that's, that's to me is like the, the biggest part of this, right? Like if we think about it is, is actually getting the data in there. Like what is, what is the workflow that is going to work best to help, uh, help those who are actually working in this field get the information into the system that they need because without it being there, then, you know, what are we talking about? Nothing nothing even works. And a really good um, a good friend of mine down at Geelong, uh, Owen, Owen McLean, he, he's come up with some really novel ways of, of how he sort of went about this and simple things like, you know, some of his coaches just, just prefer to, to write things down on pen and paper. So, you know, he went out and, and built a, a stylus version of, of how they were going to collect their information. So, so sorry, I mean using a stylus on an iPad. So finding those ways that are going to work with the coach and with the individual to make sure that the, the data does actually get collected is it's the foundation of that system, if you ask me. Yes. A couple of years back, I, I get an idea of, um, of having a scanner. So pretty much if you, if you use a you know, paper collection, uh, you collect data using paper, like, uh, you know, screening or medical, you know, reports yeah. or something like that. Now we have yeah. technology that advanced. I can, you know, that first of all, they can recognize the text and then we can do a text mining. Um, yeah. and in some cases there's much more information in text, uh, as opposed to only, you know, trying to use sliders or using, uh, rates or scales or something like that. So that's yeah. something, you know, that definitely needs to be, I guess more implemented in sports, um, like you know, just scanning up the record, uh, records, um, and you know, just up, being able to actually collect all those uh, non-numerical data, I would say, you know, qualitative data inside, and then we, we might use the more advanced, you know, data mining slash machine machine learning uh, techniques to try to you know pull out the, the meaning out of the text. Uh, yeah. So yeah, something that definitely needs to be <clears throat> implemented more in sports. Anyway, to continue talking about the muscle head <laughs> function, <laughs> uh, so you've been you know you've been dealing with a lot of athletes from uh, different sports, and this is something that intrigues me all the time uh, because I've been working with multiple sports. Uh, but what you know what surprises me is that every time you go in a different sport, uh, coaches think that their sport is like special and they yeah. <laughs> need special requirements yeah and out of you know from your experience working with different sports and different coaches um what are your thoughts on similarities and differences when it comes to you know physical preparation yeah uh, like uh i mean i think you've already uh alluded to to my general thoughts on this and and you know you hear it so often like when you step into a new role with a new sport is and my sport's different, it's special, it's it's something that, you know, you need to consider this, this, and this. But look, over my time and, you know, what I've learned from working with many, many different sports is I've got different end products in terms of the competition, but for me, sports-specific will always come second to individual-specific, and by that I mean we have some highly talented athletes that, that walk through our door, you know, like hockey players who can who can hit a moving target from 90 yards away. Um, repeatedly but they're the same individuals who can barely balance on a single leg you know they they can't do a push-up they can't do um they can barely hold a handstand things like this so first and foremost uh the foundation of of any of the programs that that happen here with our developmental athletes is we just got to establish foundational movement competency 
if, if we don't have that foundation or that base, I, I guarantee people break down um, and they don't, and they're not going to be able to to go to that next level. And it's another part of this this issue of um, of junior athletes is, you know, it's it's easy. Well, okay, it's not easy, but there are heaps of athletes who are successful as juniors who don't make it to seniors. And uh, I think a massive component of what happens from a developmental level up to a senior level is that the physical demands in so many of the sports that we work with are so much higher. So my, uh, my general opinion from, from working with many, many sports is that while yes, there are sports specific demands, I still like fundamentally believe that we need to achieve a, a foundational level of, of movement, competency, strength, and endurance before before we even start contemplating uh, layering in um, sports specific components to the program. Um, you know, like for example, I'm currently working with field hockey, rowing, water polo, and golf. You know, all very very different sports, but. I tell you what, we, we in all of those programs, we we squat, we deadlift, we bench press, we bench pull. Um, maybe to different extents and for different reasons and with different variations based on a little bit of coaching feel as, as much as anything. But you know, the foundations of what they required, the, the foundations of human movement means that I need to establish establish that first. Probably, probably second to that, I think another um, fundamental area for, for development in this group is, is the basics of, say, goal setting and commitment and training intensity and, and making sure these athletes understand the basics of recovery as well. You know, that's the stuff that no one can argue with regarding uh, being special or specific to a sport. That That's the, the basics of a, of a high-performance athlete, if you ask me, is getting that uh, commitment and training intensity at, at the level it needs to be. And then the understanding of being a, in my mind, a 24 hour athlete. So, you know, yes, you need to have your psychological recovery. That is a huge, huge component of recovery. Um, but you also need to be able to understand that you also need to make sacrifices. And some of those sacrifices are things like, you know, having a regular sleeping pattern, eating properly when your social group doesn't eat in the same way as you do. Uh, you know the the way that you interact with some of the socio cultural norms within within your culture, and you know, in Australia, the the alcohol part is the alcohol culture is a big part of it. So, you know, there's these things that you need to weigh up the uh, cost benefit for yourself as an athlete and go, well, do I want to um, win a gold medal, you know, in a few years' time, or do I want to uh, be with my friends doing the normal thing. So I think that side of the equation is really, really important too. So pretty much you, you need to look at the whole athlete um, yeah. and evaluate the athlete as a whole instead of uh, looking at only, you know, physical components of the sport. Um, yeah. Which I, I guess that's more like, a, you know, being a performance manager. Um, and I, I think that we are more and more evolving to, to that type of, uh, uh, I would say, preparation rather than mm. isolating things and you know saying you know and just looking things from a physical perspective and another thing another i would say another model that helps my decision making is that um all this implementation we do uh have two components and i, I again i'm gonna allude to nasim taylor um you know i would say via positiva or you know uh, upside so what do we get from 
uh, implementing certain strategies. So in terms of benefits and yeah. the via negativa or, or, you know, avoiding downside and what do we get from, uh, I would say, avoiding certain risk if we implement or slash don't, don't implement, implement certain um, strategies. So depending on the level of the athlete, I, I might, I might say that um, uh, physical preparation or, you know, strength training might be more related to uh, avoiding downside rather than um, yielding the, the positive benefits of, um, you know, being improved performance. And by this, I mainly refer to um, being more robust athlete, you know, being more able to, you know, withhold or withstand the training loads, um, you know, specific training loads from your sport and yeah. being, you know, I would say injury proof, if that's a, a right, right, right term to use, or just being more robust to a, tra- to a training load. So rather than strength training, improving performance, it, it, which it does, but I would say that the emphasis um, shift from, you know, developmental athlete where the physical preparation actually improves performance more uh, mm. when you compared to when you're working with, uh, you know, already high level athletes. And in that case, in my opinion, again, uh, is that physical preparation and strength training might be more related to, you know, avoiding the downside and uh, keeping the player on the pitch, which is, um, in my opinion, the most important uh, component of success. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, David Joyce just tweeted something that reiterated that completely this morning, and it was something along the lines of days lost to um, injury this season in the EPL, and what do you know, like Leicester's second in line. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. One thing I, I usually. Uh, talk about with uh, John Life from uh, New Zealand, um, who's working for High Performance Sport New Zealand, is this study that showed that uh, uh, more successful teams have less injuries as opposed to, you know, less successful teams. Uh, so less successful teams have more injuries. But we also we pretty much can't make any causal claims from that. So it might also be that... Uh, if you want to be less injured, if you if you want to have less injuries in your team, you better be successful. Uh, so yes, yeah. I would say it's circular, um, and yeah. in this case, mean that um, if you are playing well, you are winning. The culture in the team is you know optimistic, and um, I would say your hormonal levels are different, so your body can accept much more training load as mm. opposed when you're injured. So talking yeah. about Leicester, I'm not sure they played many. Um, international games this season so uh, one thing that look like um, look at their success is that uh, the injuries um, they had or actually they didn't have might be related to them not playing many international games and hence being more successful in a domestic competition so uh, not to not to decrease their tremendous success this season but um, something to think about as well there's always more depth to every um, every situation, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, so one one of the current projects you're um, involved at the moment is establishing a valid and reliable uh, movement screen. Um, yep. Can you tell us more about that? And I know that um, um, Cook's um, functional movement screen is, um, you know, always a hot topic, and um, I've been critiquing some of that stuff <laughs> recently yeah. on, on Twitter and and blog and Facebook. And um, so my main my main question is, uh, what are you trying to achieve with, you know, implementing a movement screen? And why mm-hmm. is that different than, say, observing a, a, 
athlete in in training session like within your own normal warm-ups and your normal workouts yeah yeah and absolutely and like uh, i agree you know the the movement screening for us is about directing uh, the programming we're going to implement with someone who, you know, realistically we haven't seen before. So new athlete comes through the door, okay, what am I now going to write for this program? Uh, and then the other side of that coin then, so we, we want to know what we need to improve. And then the other side of that for me is that I think a fundamental aspect of our job is about improving our athletes' ability to move efficiently and fluently and, you know, in in any uh, demand that, that is really required of them. So I think we also need to have good data to uh, support that we have actually done that. You know, it's a, it's a KPI to be achieved. So let's, um, let's test this in a valid and reliable way so that we can, we can show uh, that, yes, so-and-so has actually improved their movement quality. Um, the reason that we, we've gone into this project recently is because we found that there wasn't really any consistency in the uh, movement screens that were being done across across our programs and even, even within coaches. So as we've got a lot of developmental coaches here as well, so, you know, as they start to learn and grow and think in new ways, they might do some different things and then the movement screen would change quite often. So you wouldn't be able to consistently, like you wouldn't be able to compare from the from the last one it went through. So uh, a few of us here at the QS got together uh, and started working on um, creating creating a reliable and, and valid uh, movement screen. And I'm going to sort of steal from from Dan Baker here for a second and just go. Well, his his favorite one of the, one of those quotes that gets put out a lot is. Novice coaches copy, good coaches modify, great coaches innovate. Now, here at the academy, I think I think we're, there's some good coaches here. We're pro- probably not on the great quite yet, but uh, we'll get there in time. But anyway, so we decided, well, let's go and find something that's that's working well, has been shown to be valid, has been shown to be reliable, and then sort of modify it to to based on what our needs are. And uh, probably the the one that we found to be to have the highest uh, reliability was the the triple a from from Ian McEwen or Maccas from from your working environment actually yeah. uh, so what we liked about this was with, with this method was that it had great intertester reliability and intratester reliability so not just between testers but also the same person testing you know three months in between. We're going to get similar results and, and any change in the result is due to actual improvement and not due to an error in the measurement. So we, uh, we, we've gone down that path pretty well and uh, we, we have changed it slightly, but the, the same basic scoring structure appears where we're looking to assess sort of three to four key criteria on, on each movement that we look at. And then it's it's scored out of three, so it's very transparent in terms of what is required for uh, how you would score an individual on a certain test. And then those numbers are, are quite quickly changed into a percentage, and then we get an overall percentage score for the athlete's movement competency. So I think I think one of the the big drawaways I took from when Mac is uh, actually presented on this at the ASCA in 2000, 2014, I believe, was why I like this version is that, you know, a little bit of difference in opinion on something in this version is going to change the score from a, 
uh, five out of nine, for example, to a six out of nine or a seven out of nine. So it's only changing two ninths. Whereas if we look at the the FMS from uh, Cook and colleagues, is that you know we have this concept of oh it's a good two but not quite a three or you know it's it's almost a two and those sort of things came up again and again. So I, I like this method because it it's much easier to determine the same score and keep it consistently moving forward. And then the last thing we've kind of done with it is just to just to add on the one um, an extra piece to it is that well we should be able to get our athletes to a point where they can single leg squat, overhead squat, um, lunge, push up, chin up with impeccable technique. You know, so there is the point where you get to a stage where you go well, what's the point of movement screening these guys if they can do those things well? Like, I know they can do these things well. I see them do it in training all the time. And then instead, we can look to use maybe some more uh, performance measures on top and go, well, okay, we've been assessing overhead squat with a dowel, with a broomstick. Now let's uh, step up. So the next level of this assessment then is, well, what happens if we put load above your head? What happens if we put more load above your head? Okay, now do it in a dynamic fashion. Can we do a snatch balance with, with impeccable technique? holding the same positions that we required in the overhead squad. Can we now do a hang snatch um, using half of your body weight and, you know, hold that for reps? So we wanted to get to the point where, yes, we're absolutely showing that we take an athlete who can barely stand on a single leg all the way through to doing uh, some highly, highly demanding exercises that require not just movement capacity, but uh, the ability to generate force, to generate it quickly and to be stable when you do that. So you want it to work across the spectrum and also assess it in a, in a valid and reliable manner. Yeah, uh, I think that a lot of coaches expect uh, something that's not achievable with, with the movement screen. So um, I would say that the way you describe gives you a baseline, gives you a, you know, and it might guide you when it comes to, uh, you know, what needs to be done with a certain athletes from, from a general um, physical preparation um, standpoint. But mm-hmm. people are just expecting that movement screens can, you know, predict injuries. And that's oh, not that. where, yeah, where I think that's just ridiculous. And, yeah. you know, it, it could be a good, could be a good modif- uh, I would say a moderator or uh, um, modifies yeah. the yeah. training load. Uh, and effects effects of those training loads, uh, but I also think that we forget that um, movement screen might be really general, and we might actually put some more specific, or, or say domain slash sport specific um, um, screens there as well, instead of only doing general one. As long as we, if one of the goals might be to um, try to predict the injury, if that's even even possible, so. My question will be, um, how does this screen differ from, you know, sport to sport? Um, and, you know, just to connect to our previous question we had about the similarities and differences between sports. Yeah. yeah. I like it's, it's something that I'm a big believer in is, is maintaining that creativity and flexibility between coaches. Um, so part of this, the way that we've set it up is that, you know, basically you choose the exercise and you choose the, or the three movements, four movements, five movements, whatever you want for your sport, and they can be specific to the demands of it. Say, for example, if we're working with swimmers, um, obviously there's going to be a chin-up stream in there and there's going to be 
um, some trunk control stuff in, in like used in that screen. But then it shifts when it goes to another sport in terms of field hockey. We now need them to be able to, um, you know, hop and stick exceptionally well. So there's got to be that measure in there and then there's got to be single leg strength. So what I like about uh, this method is we're not saying that there's uh, three specific exercises that get used across the board, but you can interchange based on the demands of the sport. So it's more modular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, speaking about the estimates, um, you're also using a velocity estimates to help you monitor and program mm -hmm. uh, strength training in the gym. So mm -hmm. what equipment are you using and how does this affect your programming? Yeah. Uh, I would start by saying we're, we're probably pretty new into this overall. Uh, so we're still sort of wrapping our head around it, but we've really tried to, to look to those who've already done uh, quite a lot in this area, uh, like yourself. Um, basically, we've got, in terms of hardware, we've got a system uh, produced by a company called Elite Form. Uh, basically, it's a, it's a unit that sits on top of our, our squat racks and it's got two, two cameras uh, attached to it. And these cameras uh, are able to determine where the bar is and based on its movement, then output a, output a velocity for us. Uh, what we've been finding is it's actually really, really good with our, with our average velocity stuff. So uh, we've looked to validate that against uh, Vicom and also against uh, LPT and Forceplate and found it to be, to be really good with our average velocity. So... Uh, in terms of how we're using it in our programming, I think that the one really, really valuable tool for me is, is knowing when an athlete has actually uh, achieved an RM or if they've still got a little bit in the bank. So going off the numbers that, that are out there at the moment with the sort of 0.3 metres per second per average velocity on our, our squats and deadlifts, uh, like that's that's probably the main area that I'm using it. And then with our bench press of going, well, an RM is effectively going to happen at about 0.15 meters per second. So for me, it's, it's really good to know, well, what intensity are my athletes actually working at? Are they working maximally or are they working um, sub-maximally? Or further to that, it could be that I actually do want them to work uh, not at a maximal load, but I want them to work within specific velocity bands. So I might dictate things like within our bench press today, we, we want to move a little bit faster. So I'm going to set the band a little bit higher to be, I don't know, for example, 0.3 to 0.4 meters a second. Now the load then becomes determinant on what they can move uh, at that velocity. So at all, all times, my, my intention of movement is, is as high as possible. Um, and, you know, then that's that's quite... What I like about it is it gives some immediate augmented feedback to the athlete. So this is information that isn't intrinsic to, to the movement. It's something that gives them a little bit extra to go, hey, you actually are moving that 80 kilos faster than you were last week. You are getting better. Or, uh, for example, you know, we could, um, we could talk about the, the load that they can get to over time with their, with their RM is now getting higher and I know it's a now a true RM or maybe you've got a little bit more in the bank at your previous RM. So I like the velocity stuff because it just gives me another way of um, knowing, adding a little bit more evidence to say, uh, is someone better or is someone worse and, and how much so by.
uh, in terms of creating uh, instant feedback, um, mm-hmm. you know, what exercises do you do, and you know, what type of feedback are you, are you giving? Is it uh, uh, say uh, height, mean, velocity, power, and uh, are you? What, one thing I'm interested in is is creating this, I would say, gamification between individuals or, or teams within teams. Yeah. Uh, so the boys can actually compete. Um, between themselves in, in certain metrics. Um, and it's, it's always tricky to, to create, I would say, equal playing field for heavier yeah. guys and stronger guys when it comes to velocity and power estimates. So what I'm wondering if, if you implement, you know, similar strategies and try to create like a leaderboard and, you know, try to, you know, kind of give more, um, gamification to use this term, um, and try to create more game-like, um, yeah, strength training, and I, in my experience, it works well with with team sport at least because they they are quite they are coming from a culture of competing between themselves and um, where gym work is quite I would say plain for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm talking mostly about soccer players and creating some type <laughs> of competition where two teams or sub teams can compete can can you know increase the increase the I would say motivation and increase the intensity in the gym uh have you have you been using something along yeah. those lines yeah uh, like elite forms actually got a really really good setting within the system that uh basically you just uh, set it to enable competition so now like mo- most of our athletes programs have got uh individualization within within them so we might not have everyone doing exactly the same exercise but say for example most of our squad is going to squat on a certain day um, what we started doing was we just enabled competition, but uh, as you said, we uh, we just had it at absolute numbers. So uh, there's you know within our rowing squad, there's, there's the heavyweight guy who who is a long way ahead of the rest of the group, and just day after day after day, he was winning this competition. And um, you know the the name comes up across the the tablet in front of the guy's screen. Oh, so and so is winning again today. So. We had to be smart about that and, and adjust it back down to uh, an average velocity for the uh, percentage of um, load that they were uh, asked to lift for that day. So we've got that prescribed load um, based on percentages of 1RM. And then we were enabling competition for them to uh, compete, each, compete against each other in real time uh, using average velocity as the marker. So how quickly can you move that bar and you guys know that you are each working at the same percentage of 1RM. So you may be stronger than you, but we're still working at the same relative intensity. Now let's get that bar moving. And that that gamification sort of allows that to happen and, and it's really, really well set up through through the Elite Form system. Yeah, I guess there are always nuances in how you set up and what metrics you use. And mm. as you said, um, you know, Different guys might be, you know, different weights, um, and they might have different, you know, strength levels or beginners versus advanced. And I don't believe there's like a, you know, cookie cutter approach to creating a leaderboard. And mm. sometimes it can backfire. People think it's uh, it's always good to provide feedback, and you know, if, if the metrics are not, uh, I would say, intuitive for the athletes, and they they might complain, why is he first? He's stronger than me, you know what I mean. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and can you know it, it can backfire and actually say decrease the you know the engagement of the athletes. And um, I, I think we need to be a, a bit more smarter when it comes to just implementing the leaderboards and yeah. things along those along those lines. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, using these technologies and you know, you know, all these uh, different ones and collecting a lot of, uh, you know, pretty much end up collecting a lot of data. So, the question is, um, how do you, or if you automate this collection, and um, you know, how do you make meaning out of it? So, instead of standing there uh, and collecting data, um, I, I would rather prefer coaching and and data to be collected automatically so yeah can you explain a little bit about the system uh you are using and um how do you make how do you make meaning out of it and how does this information affects your um planning or decision making yeah absolutely the the last point you sort of touched on there is like how does it affect your planning decision making and i think that that that's fundamental to it is that it's got to be actionable analysis like i personally I refuse to jump into collecting stuff just for the purpose of collecting stuff. Like I don't see why you're going to invest energy um, when we're already time poor uh, across the board. I don't know why you'd invest energy in collecting something when you don't have a uh, reasonable outcome for it or how it's going to influence your programming. But in in regard to how we're collecting our data, uh, we actually did really, really well uh, with the the two companies that we're mainly working with, um, Infusion, Fusion Smarterbase, and uh, Elite Form. So Fusion were awesome in setting up, in helping to set up this this API that that talks to uh, the Elite Form servers and and pulls down the data immediately from there and uploads it into our uh, our Smarterbase system. So there's no there's no double handling of data anymore. Uh, what we had been doing was using the uh, CSV reports from Elite Form and and uploading them into Smarterbase. But this this ended up being a reasonably time consuming process. So so like anything else, like you're talking about, we, we wanted to find a way to automate it. And unfortunately, those two companies were, were awesome in uh, talking to each other and and getting that to happen. So, so now we've we've effectively got we, we've only really been doing this for about six weeks now. So we haven't haven't done huge amounts with it. But in terms of uh, what we can now do is that we're just trying to create some dashboards. So it's nice and easy to jump into Smarterbase, click on it, uh, click onto your individual athlete that you're going to look at, and and have a look at the trends in their strength training patterns that have happened that in their strength training that has happened over the last. Um, six uh six weeks at a starting point but then i'm really interested in having a look back at well over a longer period of time what is what has happened with this individual and and when have their test results then um what correlation has there been between what they've been doing in their strength training and when have their test results been maximized so i don't think uh we do that particularly well at the moment but this is sort of our, our next place is to to go from sitting in Excel where we're all reasonably competent and, and doing our own things and, you know, we've got our total volume load and we want to build that up or percentage of 1RM volume load or whichever metric works for the individual. Um, but then coming back to creating, to bringing us all into the same place so then we can look at what's happening across our, you know, 350 scholarship athletes to start to see some um, some higher level things. So to go, well, you know, across the board, this is what we know to be important. But then on the flip side of that, what I, what I think is, is even, even more valuable is that we, we want to be able to uh, have a far better understanding of the individual rather than just the group norms. Um, like a, 
a really really cool Twitter feed is one called uh, Research Research Warburg. Um, it's basically Mark Wahlberg with uh, research quotes posts on top of them. And one of the favorite ones is, I can work with the means, but I'd rather party with the outliers. And that's what we're looking for in, in elite sport. We're looking for outliers and we're looking for the ones who are who are doing the things that are allowing them to be successful. You know, these, these outliers that are so far ahead of the group, like what is it that they are doing in their strength training that's allowing them to, to adapt and do really well? And I'm not sure we know exactly what that is at this point, uh, but this sort of uh, mass collection of data to to put a lot of information around one individual, I think, could help um, elucidate those findings a little bit more. Yeah, my my current I would say pet peeve is this um, concept of um, implementing some of the agile practices from IT, um, and they mostly implement that from. Um, um, I would say from risk of uncertainty and actually gaining some benefits of uncertainty of the market, of the user needs. And, and I see a lot of potential implementation in how we, um, how we organize our training. Mm. So what, as strength conditioning coaches, what we pretty much know is this, I would call it negative knowledge. And we pretty much know what, um, I would say, our, our knowledge is more robust in terms that um, what we know that doesn't work. Uh, as opposed to what is going to work for a particular athlete. Yeah. So, um, and you need to pretty much experiment a little bit, create like a um, fail-safe experiments for each individual um, and see what actually sticks. It sounds funny, but it's actually how it is in in the real world. And um, having all this data that's automatically collected, and as I like to call it, embedded testing, so you're pretty much testing during the workout, instead of creating a specialized events, um, it it can hopefully down the road can help you out identify certain uh, patterns that might work for a particular athlete, and instead of just relying on a, on a anecdotal evidence and you know group averages. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's see what what the future is going to bring. The, a lot of coaches are collecting more and more data. I'll say that uh, next big step is is going to be uh, probably not technology it's going to be more um, no, you know just, algorithms in, in yeah. you know identifying uh, patterns or identifying uh, actionable insights uh, from all these tremendous data we are now you know pretty much focused on and um, and collecting at the moment uh, anyway thank you very much david for uh, for all these uh, great insights uh, i really enjoyed you know chatting to you and um, um, Thank you for contributing to Complementary Training Podcast. No as, a, as a final question, um, where can you know interested uh, listeners um, can find more about you about you and your work? Um, probably, probably Twitter is the, the best place to find me. I'm at Dave Watts AU. Uh, oh, to be perfectly honest, I'm probably more of an observer than than a real contributor. But I, I try and throw my hat in the ring when when I feel it's something I want to uh, um, weigh in on. But yeah, yeah. If you uh, want to get in contact, Dave Watts AU on Twitter is probably the best place. Thanks a lot again, David, and good luck. All right. Thanks, Len.